they can't look directly at the glory of God, but we just commemorated the birth of Messiah. We just commemorated little baby Yeshua being born in this horrible, dirty place, coming down from the riches and the glory of heaven to be born with animals, smelly hay, smelly people, outcast people, just the the creator, because we know from Colossians, Paul says everything is created by him and through him and for him. The creator comes into the world, into our time-space capsule. God is outside of time. Now he comes into time as the God-man in order to become the perfect sacrifice, in order to shed blood for the forgiveness of sin. And, you know, as we get to Passover slash Holy Week, you know, we'll talk a lot about how the creator becomes the sin bearer. You know, we know that and we just kind of go about our business and say, oh, yeah, that's nice. I know that. But if you think about that for more than about a minute and a half, you can't even you can't even come to grips with any of it. The creator becomes a helpless baby that has to be fed, has to be changed, has to be rocked to sleep, has to learn how to walk, has to learn how to talk. And when those angels that Isaiah saw in chapter 6, he, of course, didn't know it was chapter 6, but, <laughs> oh, come on, that was funny. Well, you guys are a tough crowd. As Isaiah, those angels Isaiah saw in chapter 6 the one, they covered their eyes because they couldn't look straight at the glory of God. But yet, when you saw baby Yeshua, little boy Yeshua, teenager Yeshua, grown man Yeshua, Paul says, we saw the fullness of the Godhead that dwells in him. So when, they, when you saw him coming into Panera's or coming into Denny's or you know, walking down the street with his friends, you saw the fullness of the Godhead in a man and you heard the word of god through the spoken word of a man a man's voice and it's amazing so the creator comes into flesh into time and space but he comes in the context of it's israel it's the jewish people it's the israelites it's the long-standing Hebrew scripture that stretches back thousands of years into the covenant of law, into a family, into a neighborhood, into a synagogue, you know, what we would call a church community. It's in a synagogue community. Goes to the temple for the for the pilgrimage feasts, goes to the temple, I'm sure, other times. I sometimes wonder, did anybody ever stop to think that they never saw Jesus going to the temple with a sacrifice? He, of course, would have no reason to take one. But anyway, that's kind of a side. I don't want to get into a rabbit trail. But anyway... He comes into our humanity like we talked about when we celebrated Sukkot. 
And because of the context of where he lives, because of the culture of where he lives, and because of who his mother and earthly father, foster father, I don't know what, it's a, what's a good title for Joseph, but most people say foster father. Um, they are observant Jews who follow the law. They are very concerned about God, very concerned about the law. And so he grows up in this culture. So they are going to follow the law. He is going to follow the law. Because if he doesn't follow the law, he can't be the perfect sacrifice. Because then he would have rebellion. He would have sin. He would have violation of the law. So he follows the law. And of course, you know, every church we go to, you know, we got nativity scenes. Oh, we don't have one here, but we have nativity scenes with, you know, the little baby Jesus with curly blonde hair and big blue eyes. And, and you know, Mary's always just neatly like this. And Joseph's just neatly like this. And that's not what it would have looked like. <laughs> but, you know, it, but the fact is, as Paul tells us in Galatians, he's born of a woman, born under the law. He gave the law to Moses, but he's under the law now. And we're going to see how he, we're going to take two quick examples of how he does this. And he's been born as a baby. Now, he, you know, he's got to be revealed to the world because he's the Messiah. He's got to be revealed to his people. First of all, right? He's not born in Bethlehem in order so that the Indians living in Ecuador can see him first. His people have to see him first. The gospel is always to the Jew first and then the Gentile. To the Jew first and then the Gentile. So the first people that he's revealed to of his people are shepherds. These kind of low-level you know, kind of totally uneducated, lower class people. They were thought to be shifty and not trustworthy. Shepherds and women were never allowed to testify in court because they felt women were unreliable and shepherds were unreliable. You know, we get our word hysteria from the same root as the word for uterus in Greek, hysterectomy and you know, all the words in gynecology have to do with the HYS. The Greeks coined the word hysteria because they thought when a woman got emotional, her uterus was moving around inside her body, and that's what made her emotional. That's where they got the word hysteria comes from. So he makes himself known to the shepherds first, and we've been through that. You know, the angels go to them. There's angels that come from heaven specifically to tell the shepherds that this has happened. It says, in the city of David, which is right there, is born this day, for sure, this day. He's already born. You go there, you're going to see him. So they're the first to see him. But now we're going to get into covenants. We're going to use Luke 2, and then we're going to go back, of course, to Torah. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay, Dr. Luke points out it's the eighth day. 
the boy is circumcised and named on the eighth day. I was watching a, I was watching a, well, a teacher on one of the Christian TV shows who said, well, you know, those Jewish women, they kind of got into doing that. It's like, no, that's God's law to do that. Then I heard another guy say, oh, you know, Mary wanted to wait till the eighth day because, you know, she didn't want a poor little newborn having that done to him. No, she waited till the eighth day because that's the law. And Mary would have never dreamed to say, oh, let's just wait till day 12. You know, I don't feel like having doing this today. Or what if we can't find somebody to do it? You know, there's no urologist around that could come right in and do it. Yeah, well, maybe we'll just wait a couple months. You know, we get back to Nazareth. I'll go see my family doctor. Maybe he can do it. No, on the eighth day. So Luke points out that he's circumcised and named. Sign of the covenant, the boy's given his name. Right? A girl can be named anytime. You can name the girl, you know, Elizabeth, Rachel, Leah, as soon as they're born. The boy has no name till the eighth day. I mean, you're thinking of a name, but it isn't public till the eighth day. Leviticus 12 says something else. I'm not putting up all the verses. I'm not going to put up all the verses of circumcision. But remember, Abraham circumcised himself. And then he sacrificed Isaac. And I don't remember how they circumcised Jacob. Moses then circumcised his son, because he hadn't done it. And God was angry at him. And then his wife, Zipporah, who was probably black based on the descriptions, wasn't a Jew, was mad at Moses for circumcising little, um, oh shoot, Gershon. I can't remember now if Gershon was the first one or the second one. But anyway, little Moses Jr. She got mad at him and called him a husband of blood. But the commandment, of course, is the eighth day. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, shall, shall she, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Why? I don't know. God is sovereign. This is the law. This is the sign of the covenant. The woman becomes unclean. Seven days is the period for a normal menstrual period. And then later on in Leviticus, it says, for another 33 days, she's still unclean. Now, I've never had a baby, but I know women who have. <laughs> and you know that after you deliver a baby, there's a discharge that goes on for a long period of time. You are ritualistically unclean. That's the lokia. You're ritualistically unclean if you have any kind of a discharge. God sets the limit at 40 days if you deliver a boy and 66 days if you deliver a girl. Why did he make 40 and 66? I don't know. He's sovereign. He could have made it 42 days. He could have made it 37 days. He can set whatever number he wants. But this is the law. We're not going to put up every scripture. But this is the law.
So eighth day, he's circumcised. Now, somebody came and circumcised eight-day-old Yeshua, and they gave him the name that the angel had told Mary. Why did they name him Yeshua? Because it means salvation. Salvation. His name is what he does. We might say his name is his job description. His name is salvation. And if you go to a synagogue on Shabbat tomorrow morning, if you go to a traditional Jewish synagogue of unbelievers and you listen to the prayers, you'll hear the word Yeshua periodically. They're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about the word for salvation. If you go to the Messianic synagogue, you got both things. But it means salvation. So Gabriel tells Mary, going to name him Yeshua. Because he's going to sit on the throne of his father David forever. Joseph has the dream and says, the angel says to Joseph, you're going to name him Yeshua because he's going to save his people from their sins. Which is his name. Yes, no. That's why we're not going to name him Jacob. We're not going to name him Abraham. We're not going to name him Eleazar. We're not going to name him. His name is Yeshua because this is what he does. And I think it's nice to call him Yeshua because it's his name. As Paul Wilbur likes to say, that's what his mother called him. <laughs> oh, come on. That's a little bit funny. <laughs> Boy. <clears throat> so following the law, here is baby Yeshua, eight days old, who's a real flesh and blood baby boy. Somebody comes there to wherever they are and circumcises him. Doesn't tell us who it was. You know, and that when the Jews, the Jews in diaspora have these people called moyos, that that's what they do. They circumcise baby boys and they learn how to do it. And after you've done, you know, a couple hundred of them, you get really good at it. <laughs> Pagans did not circumcise their boys. Only Jews circumcised their boys. Pagans thought it was disgusting to do that. So real body, real flesh. It would have and real blood. Now, if you do a circumcision perfectly, there's usually a few drops of blood that are expressed. It's not a very vascular area. So right away, you know, the whole Torah is about blood, right? The whole Torah is about blood. So here, one week after the Messiah is born, he's already shed some blood. This is not salvation, but he's already shed some blood to be part of the covenant. Every boy has this done to be part of the covenant. It's real flesh. So he becomes a servant of the law. He becomes bar mitzvah, which means son of the law. He made the law. He gave the law to Moses. But he subjects himself to the law. So little eight-day-old Yeshua could have sat up in his divinity and said, I know today's the eighth day, and I know this guy's coming over to, to do the circumcision, but I'm the Messiah. I'm the God-man. I'm the one who gave the law. It doesn't apply to me. 
No, somebody came and circumcised him according to the law. Joseph couldn't say, hey, look, I don't have time for this today because this guy next door ordered a chair. I got to finish the chair. No, today's the day, the bris, as we would call it, and have a big party. If you've ever been to a bris, you guys probably have. There's a big party afterwards. The boy's usually circumcised in one of the bedrooms, and you hear the kid, you know, scream a couple of times, and then they come back in the room, and it's party time with all kinds of really good food. I don't know if they did that in Jesus's day, but Joseph and Mary probably couldn't have afforded a big spread. They probably just had some bagels and cream cheese. Oh, come on. Reuben sandwiches. Oh, no, he was from the tribe of, they were from the tribe of Judah. But there's no Judah sandwiches. So he takes on the law. He's born of a woman, born under the law. He takes the law on, why? For our sake, not for his sake. He doesn't need to be under the law. He's existed from eternity, but now he's living in this little place. They're probably still in Bethlehem. I don't know if they're still in the manger, you know, still in the, the stable or cave or whatever it was. I don't know if they checked into the Hampton Inn or whatever it was. They're probably still in Bethlehem at day eight. And somebody comes and circumcises him. First example, well, not first example, first example, he was born like everybody else. But this is an example of he starts to take the law on so that he is without blemish. Right? If teenage Yeshua would have said, you know, I'm sick and tired of doing all this stuff on the Sabbath. I'm not going to go to the synagogue. I'm not going to have the dinner. You guys do whatever you want. I'm going to go work in the shop. He couldn't be the Messiah because he would have violated the Sabbath, violated the law. Right? Yes. So he gets the sign of the covenant, even though he's the son, capital S, even though he's the creator, capital C, for our sake. And he's officially given his name. So they follow the command of Gabriel. So now we have salvation living with us, dwelling with us. And he's still here dwelling with us in a different way than then. I mean, then, you know, Mary fed him, changed his diaper, rocked him to sleep in a very physical way. We're not going to see him in his physical body at least not right now. I hope it's later today, but not right now. But we know that he's here. He dwells among us. He's Emmanuel. The word becomes, becomes flesh and dwells among us. In Isaiah chapter 12, it's a beautiful chapter. We don't have time to do it, but I did a video about it last night if you want to go to the YouTube channel. But it's about, you know, Isaiah talks about how salvation, the Holy One of Israel comes to dwell with us lives with us. Salvation comes from God. There's two ways to be saved. One is to keep all 613 laws perfectly. That doesn't work. And the other is to come to Yeshua, whose name means salvation, who kept the law and then became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect blood atonement. And if you study Torah, 
It's all you see. It's the blood, it's blood, it's blood. It's impurity, it's impurity, it's impurity. Why? Because we are living in impurity. We're living in sin. So salvation's living with us. So next thing we're going to talk about in terms of the law is what's commonly called the presentation. Luke writes this very nicely. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, this is day 40 for a boy, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Again, I know this is day 40, but this doesn't really fit into our schedule. So let's do it next week. We got a free day next Wednesday. Let's go then. Day 40 is when you present the boy. There's no question in their minds. Little 40-day-old Jesus could have said, that doesn't apply to me. I'm the creator. I'm the giver of the law. No, he subjects himself to the next law, which is the presentation. Exodus 13, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Later, it's going to say a yearling lamb. So when you present the boy, you have a choice of presenting a lamb or doing the two birds. Mary and Joseph did the two birds, which was the poor person's offering. So people have jokingly said they didn't have the wise man's gold yet. Because they couldn't get they couldn't get a lamb. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But every male who opens the womb, and we're we're not reading you have to read all the stuff that's in between. This happens at day 40. The woman who has had the baby boy 40 days ago would go to the temple, would hand the baby to a female attendant, would get completely undressed, get into the mikvah bath, the mikvah bath water, the water would flow over her. She would come out. She would put on maybe a new set of clothes, maybe the same clothes, I don't know. Would get dressed again, take the baby, and then she's allowed to go inside because she's been ritualistically unclean for 40 days. Law of Moses. <clears throat> just talks about the seven plus the 33. During those 40 days, she can't touch any holy thing. She can't come into the sanctuary until the 40 days are up and she's gone through the mikvah. Serious business. A woman who has a baby girl first has to wait 66 days. <laughs> now, Tuss, that seems weird, like a woman who had a baby 40 days ago would have been going to church before the 40 days, because, of course, it's a different situation that doesn't apply to us as a, as a law. But it applied to them as a law. It applied to Mary and Joseph as a law. And baby Yeshua put himself under that law in order to be Messiah. So he submits to the law again. And the firstborn is called holy to the Lord. Now think about this. 
the firstborn of the Egyptians was killed. The firstborn of the Israelites is holy to the Lord. Okay, so we kind of get that. Special people delivered. The Egyptians are punished. The Israelites are his inheritance. The firstborn is holy to the Lord. You dedicate the firstborn to the Lord. Cool. Like Hannah did with little baby Samuel. She packed up his little PJs and all those little toys and stuff and took him to live with the high priest. See, unless you understand the ancient languages, you don't get the part about the little PJs. You have to look at that and his little toys. <laughs> I know you're sick of that joke, right? <laughs> but anyway, so the firstborn of the Egyptians is slain. The firstborn of the Israelites is holy to the Lord. Now, Yeshua was saying he was holy to the Lord is kind of a, um, what do you call it? A, a, um, what's the opposite of like a big exaggeration? It's like, you know, putting it mildly, he's 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 not like a man. Like if you're the firstborn son, and the, your observant Jewish parents say we're going to take him, he's holy to the Lord, and we want to raise him that way. That's great, but this is the God man who then goes into the temple, and a human man who's a priest, a Levite picks the baby up and holds him up and off and dedicates the baby to God. So a human man picked up the God man and presented him to God, presented him to the father. Isn't that amazing? I often wonder like the priest who did that, you know, he was probably on the schedule that day to do presentations and maybe he did five or six of them. Maybe he did 10 or 12 of them. I don't know. Who knows? But I always wonder, like, later in his life, if he became a believer and um, encountered Mary, who said to him, you were the priest that, uh, you were you were the one that day. And can you imagine? Would have been, have his mind blown. He presented the Son of God to God. But again, the law. Does, the, does Yeshua need to be presented to the Father? Of course not. He and the Father are one. But he subjects himself to it. So he comes from the Father, and now a human man presents him to the Father. If you think about these things, you can make yourself just, I don't want to say crazy, but make yourself kind of incapacitated because you can't even come to grips with it. So, Interestingly, he's not left in the temple like little Samuel was. Mary doesn't say, um, listen, whatever they called the priest, um, your excellency or whatever, um, this baby was conceived in my womb in a very miraculous way. He was conceived in my womb by the Holy Spirit. Joseph here is not his father. He's the son of God. So I better leave him here. Because after all, what place would he, what, what better place for him to grow up than in the temple? No, they don't leave him in the temple like Hannah left Samuel. Because he goes, he works in a temple not made by human hands. He's greater than the temple. 
He says, one greater than the temple is here. You guys see all this beautiful stuff? Yeah, but one greater than the temple is here. When they went to Egypt for whatever amount of time, imagine Mary and Joseph couldn't go to the temple. But they had little Jesus greater than the temple who was there with them. He doesn't stay in the temple because he ministers in the temple not made by human hands. The writer to the Hebrews describes it. <clears throat> so this is, again, about the offering. And the offering is to make atonement for her, not for the baby. Because she's the one, she just got done with a discharge at some point. So she has to be made clean again. This is the law. Okay, so we can't we can't go over this. So Mary makes an offering according to the law. She was supposed to actually offer a lamb. But it says, if you can't afford a lamb, two turtle doves or two pigeons. And then they're cleansed from the issue of blood. So again, this is to fulfill all righteousness. Does a woman today have to do that? No. Would a Gentile woman have had to do that? No. God says, this is how she's going to be righteous and clean again. But now, of course, we're righteous and clean in another way. We're righteous and clean by what he did, not by whether we go to the temple on day 40 or day 66 or we get in the bath or we don't get in the Those are God-given holy laws, but Yeshua, it all pointed to him. He's the end point. He's the telos, Paul says in the Greek. He's the end point of the law. All this was pointing to blood sacrifice. All this was pointing to, after the blood, then there's righteousness. So the priest makes atonement for her, and she will be clean. So little Jesus is born in this humble place, but angels sing about his glory. Isn't that cool? Angels sing. Even, he's humbled at the presentation because, after all, he's 40 days old. All he can do is, like, squirm and wave his arms and legs around, and he can cry and can't even smile at 40 days. Right? 40-day-old boy doesn't do much. And he might have been kicking and squirming when this priest picked him up. You know, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. <laughs> As they say, Scripture's silent on that. But you can imagine a 40-day-old boy is probably starting to squirm around a little bit. So he's humbled at this presentation, but now Simeon and Anna give him glory, the prophet Simeon who's there. He was assured by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Anna was this really old lady. I don't remember... It goes through this agonizing detail about when she was married and how long she'd been widowed. And it sounds like she's like 112 years old or whatever. But she's this really old lady who's been in the temple all the time praying. She also knows she's not going to die before she sees the Messiah. They're both faithful people. So I like to think that Simeon is down at a coffee shop that used to be at the base of the Temple Mount. And he's having coffee and 
you know, thinking about what he's going to do. And the Holy Spirit says to him, they're on their way to the temple. You better go up there now. Oh, come on. That was a little bit funny. And he goes up there and sees this scene of Mary, Joseph, and this little baby. Now, angels gave him glory when he was born. At this point, Simeon is going to do it. We're going to get to that in a second. But this fulfills Malachi 3.1. Listen to this. And the Lord whom you seek, they've been waiting for a Messiah for a thousand, two, three thousand years, right? The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. 40-day-old baby Jesus suddenly comes to the temple. Prophesied 500 years, 400 years before it happens. Will suddenly come to the temple, to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom, in whom you delight. So he's going to be a messenger of a covenant. I know you got mikvahs, and I know you got the stuff, and I know you got 40 days, and I know you got 66 days, and you know you got the candles, and you got all the, He's the messenger of the covenant. In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The term Lord of hosts, Adonai Elohim Savaot, as it said in that song, is used a handful of times in the Old Testament and a couple of times in the New Testament. This is one of the times it's used. The Lord God of hosts assures the people through Malachi that the messenger of the covenant is going to suddenly come to the temple. And here he comes. You know, Mary's probably got him all bundled up. We don't know exactly what time of year it was. If he was born at Sukkot, it was probably well into November by then. And she comes with this little bundled up baby who's the messenger of the covenant suddenly coming to his temple. Not God temple, his temple. Whew. Luke 2, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, you know, from the coffee shop, came running up the stairs. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So he takes, he's so excited, he takes the baby right out of Mary's arms. And Mary thinks, what's this old man doing with my baby? Give me that baby back. No. Boy, you guys are tough. Man, you had too much holiday. That's the problem. So he takes the baby in his arms and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Hey, that's us. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 40-day-old baby who's squirming, maybe he's asleep, we don't know. 
maybe he's just kind of laying there in this guy's arms going, who are you? This 40-day-old baby who can't say a word is the glory of Israel and he's the light to the Gentiles who's been prepared for all people. Read over Isaiah 12 when you get home and then watch the video I did yesterday because I talk about that in detail. This plan goes for him to be salvation to Gentiles, to the goyim, to the peoples, to the nations. And Simeon says, you've prepared this plan. Yes, we have the whole Tanakh, the whole Old Testament, which is the preparation for this plan. We have Torah that prefigures everything about him. We have the prophets who tell us everything about him. We have the writings that tell us everything about him. Simeon says, now he's here. After you've prepared all this, glory of your people. So Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit. Simeon doesn't normally talk like this. Just like when you, when you read the song of Moses in Exodus, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to sing this song. The song of Miriam in, in Exodus, short song, but she's inspired by the Holy Spirit to say it. The song of Hannah after Samuel's born, beautiful. It sounds like the Magnificat, the song of Mary. The song of Zechariah, the song of Mary. This isn't how people, those people talked in their day-to-day -day life. Right? Young Mary, who was probably 16 at this time, we don't know exactly. She didn't walk around Nazareth saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and saying all these beautiful. That's not how she talked. She was filled with the Spirit. Simeon's filled with the Spirit. He can't wait to hold this baby. He gets the Spirit of prophecy, and he says, now I can die because I've seen salvation. I've seen Yeshua. I've seen salvation. I, we waited and waited for all these years, and here he is. Now I can die. What else is there to, to do? You know, when you meet Jesus, what else is there to do? If you die that day, so what? It's great. What can match that? So he says, here he is. Nothing's this important. You know, Moses wanted to live longer so he could go into the land. And he could do, Simeon says, hey, I can die now. I'm satisfied. This is what I've been waiting for. This plan that was made before the world, here it is, here he is, he's the plan. I can die now. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the, and the glory of your people, Israel. All the point of the chosen people was for Yeshua to come. And again, did he as he as as he talks as as God talks to Moses many times, if you've studied Torah, you know this. He says, I didn't pick you all because you were the most numerous people, you were the smartest people, you were the most awesome people. I picked you because I wanted to pick you. Sovereign decision. Abraham, come on. Could have picked anybody in the world. He picked Abraham. Why? So that Simeon can hold a baby a flesh-and-blood baby whose body comes from those people. 
know, when David becomes king, the people of Israel say, here he he is, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And so is Yeshua, of course. He's bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh. And for the most part, they reject him. Interestingly, you know, we all know about Judas. The name Judas does not exist in Hebrew. His name was Yehuda, Judah. I don't know why it was translated as Judas. I don't know if you guys know. We'll ask Rabbi Adler someday. Why was it translated? I don't know. But when you think about it, Judah, the tribe that Jesus is from, rejects him. So the man who betrays him is named Judah. I I can't even stand it. So he says, this baby's the glory of Israel. So what's the glory of Israel? They have the Torah. They have the prophets. They have the revelation of God. They're the only people that have the covenant. But he says, this baby's the glory of Israel. Whoa. Does he mean more than these things? Yes. As a matter of fact, John 5.39, you search the scriptures, that's great, but these are they that testify of me. All these scrolls that you've been reading, that you guys, this is all you guys do is read these scrolls, they're all about me. And here I am. So now, here he is. The Lord that you seek suddenly comes to the temple. Suddenly comes. After all these centuries and millennia of waiting. Woo. Am I the only one who thinks that's awesome? I think that's pretty awesome. So good. Pastor Monica, you have any comments? Would you like to say something? I know I'm putting you on the spot because we didn't talk about this ahead of time. <laughs> but, I mean, to think about these things. You know, there's a, very, um, there's a very ancient way of praying and meditating on Scripture that you may have heard of. It was developed by monks like in the seven, eight, nine hundreds called Lectio Divina where you read a passage of Scripture and then you think about it, and you read it again, and you think about it, and you pray about it, and you read it again, and this all kind of starts to build up in you, and you say, whoa, I didn't realize that before. Oh, I didn't understand that before. And Lectio Divina is making a big comeback, a big comeback in a lot of churches. 